welcome to a Blissfully Balanced Life podcast, the perfect place for busy women looking to make their health a priority. I am your host, Crystal Ray, and I am a certified health coach, fitness coach, and Reiki healer. And on this podcast, I am bringing experts to share with you their insights to really help you take your health to the next level. And I'll also be sharing with you tidbits from my own personal journey. I am so excited you are here, and let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of A Blissfully Balanced Life. I am so excited because tonight I have here with me my personal functional medicine doctor, Dr. Mike. And I'm just really excited because he is full of so much knowledge and has helped me in so many types of ways. So I'm really excited for him to share a lot of his knowledge with you guys. And I'm actually going to pass it over to Dr. Mike and let him properly introduce himself. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And thank you very much for having me. Um, tonight, I think we're going to talk about what it is to be optimum. You know, there's a, there's a whole new push about um, this whole idea of biohacking and people looking at how they can maximize their own you know, human potential, how they can feel better, how they can lose weight, how they can be in better shape, how they can stop having all the chronic illnesses that they have. And it really comes down to, you know, what's actually wrong. And, you know, when, when we live in a society that says, when we get sick, we go to the doctor. The doctor tells us what we have, creates this thing called the diagnosis, which is really just a label, prescribes some kind of pill, and, and implies, come back when you're sick again. And, you know, that's the problem, is that we don't have a society that says, let's evaluate everything about you, figure out how your body's working, how's your lifestyle impacting. How are your genetics feeding into that? How's your diet, your exercise, your stress level? And then look at all of those factors and come up with a strategy to help you become maximized. And I think that if we did that, we'd probably cut the, uh, you know, the, the amount spent on, on quote-unquote healthcare in the United States by about 80%. But the bottom line really is that you have to be motivated to do that. You know, most people are very happy just popping a pill because they don't want to make those lifestyle changes. So... How about we start with that? Let's let's see, what is it gonna to take to be optimal? Yeah, in a nutshell, basically everything you just described is what you would technically encompass functional medicine, right? Like right. it's all this is like the basic premise of what functional medicine is all about. And so how did you get into it? Well, I actually got, you know, I was always into bodybuilding and powerlifting and you know, since I was a little kid and then I got I became a chiropractor and I was very much into sports injuries and working with athletes. And then I got into neurology and then, you know, was always working with my patients and doing nutritional work and diet and all these different things because I was so into it. And then when this whole new field of functional medicine came along, it was just a natural fit. <clears throat> and I had the opportunity to do like a one-on-one year-long program, like side-by-side with this MD-PhD that was into what they called orthomolecular medicine back then. And, um, you know, just did a lot of really cool stuff and tons of different seminars and a lot of a lot of work on my own and, and then saw, you know, a couple of thousand patients and got like a Harvard education on, you know, where people were at and what was wrong with them and then how it correlated with their labs. And then, you know, started really learning more about how light impacts us and how the brain runs everything and, you know, kind of mishmashed it all together to come up with this whole strategy. And, you know, so it really is very rich because we look at somebody as a whole person instead of this specialized view of like, you know, I'm a, I'm an orthopedic surgeon just for shoulders and 
if your if your elbow hurts after referring to somebody else, you know. So that whole idea where you know a doctor really doesn't look at you, they just look at their specific part of you, um, you know, is really a problem in our country. For sure, and it's yeah. such a narrow view, and it, yeah. you know, it's. I think functional medicine, functional medicine um, practitioners are really trying to be the ultimate generalist to really look at everything about a patient and say, you know, these are all the different factors that are involved in why you feel the way you feel. And, and probably the biggest one and one that I'm really, really interested in is mindset and how, you know, the mindset of illness and the mindset of health are so diametrically opposed that we really need to help people understand why they do the things that they do and how do they think and what's their belief system? How's their self-concept? Because all of those things all play into, you know, why they kind of go into some kind of health decline in very, you know, very, well, anyway, not all the time, obviously, but, you know, in a lot of, you know, people who struggle with weight, with migraine, with, you know, stress-related conditions, you know, many of them have this mindset of chronic illness and they, if we don't, if we don't address that, then, you know, they're probably going to see some short-term results and then, Eventually, they'll be going to somebody else saying, hey, I went to Dr. Mike and he helped me for a little while. And then, you know, then it all came back. So we really need to look at people as a whole and try to help them understand that their health is their responsibility. And we're going to help them kind of along the journey. I tell them, I'm going to hold your hand and kick your ass. And at the same time, and this way, we'll really get you the results that you need. And so it's, it's fun because you develop great relationships with the patients that you work with. And, you know, they usually see pretty good results. Yeah, you're definitely good at getting results, which is why you are definitely my favorite functional medicine doctor. One of the reasons why I recommend everybody to you, and I keep coming back, but something that you said was really interesting when you said they have a chronic illness mindset. And how do you think somebody even develops that? Like, and how do you, un how do you change it? That's a good question. So let's just say that you have migraine headaches. And you go to your doctor and the doctor says, well, let's start off with, you know, this prescription um, NSAID medication. Let's see how that works. And you try that for a month or two and it does nothing. And you go back and they say, well, you know what, maybe we'll try this particular other medication. Let's see how that works. And you do that for a couple of months. Then they say, well, you know what, maybe you should see a neurologist. And the neurologist does an MRI and an EEG and says, well, you know, the brain looks okay. You know, let's start you on this triptan medication and take this when you start to feel the headache coming on. And you do that and that still doesn't really help you. So now you go back and now you're frustrated, you're exhausted, you have chronic fatigue, you have these blinding migraine headaches, and a year has gone by, you don't feel any better, and now all of a sudden you start to identify as the person who has migraines. And now your mindset is different because your lifestyle is impacted so badly that you start to realize that I don't think anybody's going to help you with this. And now you go and you start saying, well, you know, maybe I need these injections in my scalp. Maybe I need Botox. You know, maybe I need to have some nerves cut in the back of my scalp. I mean, it, it gets crazier and crazier. And, you know, um, as, as a pro, you know, it, as, as such a gigantic snowball continues to develop in your life, you start thinking that I'm never going to get better. And now you have this mindset of chronic illness and you believe that you're not going to get better. So, once you start believing something, even though it may not be true, it's, it's true to you. So it becomes very, you become, you know, health resistant at that point. You know, you don't think anything's going to help, so you don't even try anymore. And that's where people kind of decline into a depression. Right. So, you know, it's all, it's all interrelated. You can't separate the mind and the body. And isn't there this idea where 
the, the brain, like we always want to prove ourselves right, right? Like our brain is always trying to prove what we're thinking to be true. So if we're sitting there thinking or that we have this new belief, right? Because our thoughts become our beliefs. Well, we're now doing everything in our power to prove that we are whatever we're saying that we are. Like we're a person who always gets migraines, right? Mm -hmm. So there are, you know, there, you know, Tony Robbins always talked about um, things called matchers and mismatchers. So people who are matchers see what's right about situations and people who are mismatchers see what's wrong about situations. So kind of like the glasses half full or half empty. And if you happen to have this habit of thinking that you see what's wrong about situations, then more than likely you're going to find reasons why you're never going to get better. And so, you know, it goes back to, you know, how you have your thinking set up, you know, how is your paradigm? You know, how's your self-concept? Do you feel good about yourself? Do you have a positive attitude? You know, do you have, um, do you have self-confidence? So when you start thinking about those things and you go, wow, how did, how did, how did we go from migraines to self-confidence? But, you know, patients are all so different. And, you know, just because you have the same symptom as somebody else, it doesn't mean that the same intervention is going to work. And that's why our system fails so often. So if I'm sitting here as somebody, you know, I'm a listener and I'm sitting here, I'm like, wow, like, yeah, I'm somebody who's guilty of going through an experience that you just described. What would be some of the first things that you would suggest to them to do in order to help improve their mindset? So, I mean, the first thing that you need to understand is that where you are right now is really a product of your behavior, right? The things that you do determine the results that you get. And so if you can imagine like a flow chart, right? So here you are right now. And your actions lead to your outcomes that you have right now. And if you're not happy with your outcomes, we usually say, well, let me change something. You know, so we use the example of weight loss, for instance. If, if, I'm, not, if I'm not happy with my weight, let's say I'm, you know, 75 pounds overweight, well, I'm going to change my diet. I'll change what I do. And while they're really hyper-focused on changing their diet, they see weight loss happen. But as soon as life throws them a curveball or they get distracted, or they have a change in their relationship or a job or anything else, and they're not hyper-focused on weight loss, they go back to like their default mechanism, which is kind of eating the way they used to eat and not exercising and so on, and they gain the weight back. And their life becomes this yo-yo of highs and lows with their weight. The reason is that energy is really what drives your behavior. And you have mental and physical energy. And you get your physical energy from what's actually happening in your body, like your light environment, your diet, your exercise. But where do you get mental energy from? That's a crazy rhetorical question. You get mental energy from your attitude. So the idea of attitude usually is a good or bad attitude. You know, that's the way we usually think about it. But attitude really refers to your position relative to everybody else. So the idea of an attitude is really where you fit in. And there are four basic attitudes. The first one is plus plus. I like me and I like you. I accept me, I accept you, and we get along fine because I'm okay with who I am. That's the only good attitude there is. The second attitude is minus plus. I'm not okay, but you are. That's low self-esteem. The third attitude is plus minus. I'm good, but you're not. I'm a domineering, overbearing, condescending kind of personality, and I need that to make myself feel good. And then the third, the fourth attitude is I'm not okay, neither are you, and that's like pathology. 
So of the four basic attitudes, three of them are negative. So if you have a negative attitude, it leads to low mental energy, which leads to a low level of behavioral ability to change, which leads to mediocre outcomes. So all of a sudden your attitude is really driving everything. But where do you get your attitude from? This is where it all begins, your belief system. What do you believe about yourself? Do you believe that you're capable? Do you believe you're beautiful? Do you believe you're smart? Do you believe you're, you know, you're able to get well? And that's all about the self-concept. And that was formed by the time you were you know, a little kid. But it's a software program and your self-concept is upgradable. And unless you really start looking at this and say, and, and really acknowledge that, you know what? I really don't feel good about myself. I have fear, doubt, and insecurity that kind of dominates some of my thoughts. And unless we kind of get there and figure that stuff out and help you to see that everybody's on the same plane and you've got to become complete with your past, realize that you're awesome and you may not be good at everything, but nobody is. There's no such thing as perfection. And let's really rock with this idea that, you know, you're going to have a plus plus attitude and everything else becomes possible. at that point. So if you have this idea of changing your mindset, as the foundation for your functional medicine program, you're going to succeed because now all of a sudden it opens you up to all the possibilities. But if you have this closed mindedness and somebody says, well, listen, we're going to put you on this nutrition plan. They could look online and get, you know, for free, download a thousand diets, you know, the diets are everywhere or they'll just kind of fall back into their default mechanism of, I don't think I can do this. So the mindset is critical to overall health and wellness. That's why we have a wellness mindset or a health mindset and a sickness mindset. See how it kind of dovetails? Yes, yes, yes. I love that. I like how you really explained it so well. I've never heard of the different personality types before. Like not personality, but you know what I mean? Like the, the positive, attitudes. The attitudes, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. But when you, when you think about it, you know, we all have, we all have a set of, of beliefs about ourselves. And if you happen to grow up in a really amazing home where your parents were ultra supportive and, and you know, you had tons of friends that all were very loving and not a lot of drama, the odds are that you have a plus plus attitude. But how many- I was gonna say like, does that exist? Do right. people so have how, lives like that? Right, so how, how often, you know, does somebody have that? So now, you know, you have to kind of manage either a little bit of a low self-esteem or a little bit of an anger issue. And you know, how are you gonna deal with those things? You know, are you going to allow those attitudes that are from childhood to dominate your adulthood? You know, how I, I often say to patients, how much longer are you gonna walk around as an adult woman with the beliefs of a child? You know, and we need to upgrade the way you look at yourself and what you believe so that we can get this attitude straightened out. You know, where you fit in is really up to you. It's not based on, you know the fact that you didn't make the, you know, the kickball team when you were six, you know what I mean? Or you didn't have the cool sneakers when you were 10, but all those things all have long lasting impacts. So we need to, we need to kind of put everything in perspective. And this is where, you know, the idea of functional medicine meets mindset. Yeah. And this so, so important. So I'm going to switch topics real quick because you mm -hmm. and I could talk about mindset like legit all night. But what are some of the most common trends that you seem to find with your patients and things that everybody should just kind of be doing when it comes to achieving that optimum you? So what does the body need? 
You know, we know we need we need water, we need sunlight, we need nutrients, we need movement, we need love, right? We need shelter, some basic things. And if we were to look at like before you were born, there was a show called Little House on the Prairie on TV. You know, maybe you maybe your parents heard about it. Okay? It was still on TV when I was born. All right, I've definitely seen it. Okay. So it was about this family that lived in a log cabin, like, you know, in, you know, in early, you know, early America. And that's the way for 10,000 years humans lived, which was outside with no electricity, no artificial light, all organic food, no pollution in the air or the water. I mean, it was, it was pretty pristine. So when we think about how we live that's in accordance with nature, we're really on the opposite end of that spectrum. You know, we, we have artificial light which changes the way our brain integrates uh, day-night cycles and it messes with our circadian rhythmicity. We have, you know, tons of artificial everything. You know, we're connected to this, you know, non-native EMF constantly through computers and TVs and indoor lights and all these other things. Um, we're stressed to the max. You know, we have an abnormal cortisol rhythm. So, you know, so many different factors, but not everybody has them all. So it depends on your lifestyle and how you set yourself up. So just changing some of the basics, you know, trying to disconnect, trying to do some meditation, trying to clean up your diet, eat less carbs, eat more vegetables and more of a, you know, a vegetarian base with, you know, meat, chicken, fish, things like that. If you're so inclined, which I am, um, you know, taking some basic supplements. I mean, just like the basics. I mean, people come in and I do, I run labs on them and they're a disaster. And then three months later, just by doing the basics, most of them feel significantly better. It doesn't even matter what they come in with. And then when we rerun the labs, we can see where we really need to focus. All right, you know, this is a hormone issue, or this is an inflammatory issue, or this is a GI issue. You know, we knew all those things from the beginning, but once you clean everything up, the body's amazing. It handles itself. You know, it straightens itself out pretty well when you give it what it needs and take away what's hurting it. You know, at, a, at the most basic level, that's what functional medicine is. You know, give the body what it's missing, take away what's hurting. Yes. So there's another, there's like two other things that my mind is just racing with a lot of questions. You look at amino acids when you do your blood work. Mm -hmm. Can you explain more as to why that's something that you look into? All right. So when we eat, we break down food into three different things, right? Food is broken down to protein, carbs, and fats. Carbs get broken down to sugars and sugar either becomes body fat or energy. That's the end result of sugar. When we break down protein, we break them down to amino acids. Amino acids can also become body fat if we eat too many. It can also become energy, but it becomes your neurotransmitters, which like your brain chemistry, and it becomes essentially your whole body. Everything comes from protein, from amino acids. Then when we break down fats, we break them down to fatty acids. And those fatty acids can also become body fat if we eat too many. It can also become you know, converted into energy but it becomes your brain and all your hormones. So when we look at these three things, we go, well, of those three, carbs are the least important. Proteins and fats can actually get converted to carbohydrates. So if we, if we didn't have this process called gluconeogenesis, we would need to eat more carbs, but we can actually make carbs in our own body. It's insane. So the problem is that most Americans live on carbs. You know, like I come have patients come in and they're, they're vegetarians, but they're really pastatarians. You know, I don't think they eat any vegetables. They just basically eat pasta and bread. So, you know, what we need to do is think about amino acids. And not only are you taking in enough, 
but are you digesting and absorbing enough? And the only way I can tell that is by doing a stool sample to see what's going on with digestion. And then I look at vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and fatty acids to see what's actually making it into your bloodstream. Now we can kind of break down, well, hey, there's a gigantic block between what you're taking in and what you're actually assimilating. And then we can work that stuff out. So let's take this one step further because this is also part of my other favorite thing about this. So when we have a lack of that, right, what ends up happening to us mentally when it comes to anxiety or depression when we're not absorbing the correct amount of nutrients? So amino acids become, so what we do is we take proteins, which are just a, a imagine like, um, like a set of Legos, like a, a Lego ship, right? It's thousands of different Legos, all different colors. And we break it all down into individual Legos. So that's what happens when we eat a piece of meat, chicken, fish, you know, we eat nuts, anything that's a protein, we break it all the way down to in individual Legos, which are the amino acids. Then when they come into our body, our body then has to resynthesize or create new proteins out of those Legos. So we might take 25 blues, three yellows, and 14 greens and turn it into a new protein. Well, we have to have those Legos available to make those proteins. Well, what about brain chemistry? Like neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine are directly coming from amino acids like tryptophan and tyrosine. So if we don't have them available, we can't make serotonin and dopamine. But in the traditional medical model, you know, we think that everybody's got a serotonin deficiency and we're going to give them an SSRI medication. But what if you don't have enough to begin with? Then those medications don't really work so well. And then this ties into methylation and all these other chemical processes that you know about. But the bottom line is that you need to have the precursors available so that you can create these things in your own brain. So it comes back to digestion and food, you know, food types. So the most basic of things, giving people what they need and take away what's hurting them, making sure that their gut function is efficient, making sure that they have a normal microbiome, you know, like real basic, basic stuff is, is just critical to overall health. Yes. And so you mentioned methylation. So I don't know how many people are familiar with the MTHFR or how much they understand about the, like the methylation process and how vitamin D, how everything kind of like filters into that. So we don't have to get really deep into it, but I was wondering if you could just kind of give us like an overall explanation for somebody. Cause when I came to see you, so like, just to give you guys more insight, when I came to see Dr. Mike, I had already seen a whole bunch of functional medicine doctors and I had learned that I have an MTHFR mutation as it's like called. And he's somebody who knew about it. And I had a feeling that that was kind of the missing puzzle piece in my whole health and like what was really kind of going on for me plus a whole bunch of other things, which we found out about anyway. But I just think that for some people, it can become very frustrating. Like for me, it was just so frustrating because I was like, I've done all these things and I felt kind of good. And then I started to not feel good again. Like what's up? And I think like taking folinic acid has been one of the things that has definitely made a difference. So if you could kind of just shed some light on MTHFR for anybody who you know, might be in a similar situation, kind of struggling, found out that they have it, but have no idea what, what in the world it means. Right. I think it'd be beneficial. <clears throat> so MTHFR is, um, it's actually a gene. It's a couple of different genes. And genes make proteins. Several years ago, we 
the United States put together this human genome project to try to map the entire genome. And we found out that we have, you know, 28 or so thousand, you know, different genes. And each of these genes actually creates new proteins. That's what genes do. They make proteins. And the MTHFR gene makes an enzyme, which is just a, another little protein, also called MTHFR. And that allows us to turn folate or folic acid, which is vitamin B9, into the human form called methylfolate. That's all it does. It creates so there's these two genes make an enzyme called MTHFR, and that enzyme allows us to turn the plant version of folate into the human version of folate. And it's but it's critical to like everything else in our body because that human version of folate called methylfolate is really the key that unlocks many other chemical pathways. Like your entire detoxification system is dependent on methylfolate and your ability to fight cancer and not produce blood clots and maybe even avoid miscarriages and avoiding heart disease. All pretty important stuff, all very much methylfolate connected. But the really like the other side of the equation is that without methylfolate, you can't make brain chemistry. So methylfolate can actually facilitate the reaction that turns amino acids into brain chemicals. So if you have this particular gene, quote unquote, mutation or SNP, then it reduces your body's ability to make that enzyme which means you don't make enough of this stuff. And if you don't make enough, it slows everything else down. So you have an increased risk for heart disease, an increased risk for miscarriage, an increased risk for having a child with autism, an increased risk for anxiety and depression. So it's a pretty important thing to get checked, and it's a pretty simple test. And once you find out if you have it or not, then you can actually take some steps to reduce your body's ability to kind of fall prey to it. I mean, on just in a total generalization, we can make, you know, we can make a, like a, a very kind of wide-ranging generalization. Your body, if you have this, cannot process folic acid well. We need to eliminate folic acid. Then what we need to do is supplement with methylfolate. And this is readily available in supplements. You can get it online. It's, it's called 5-MTHF or methylfolate. And you want to start with very tiny amounts, like even 0.8 milligrams or one milligram is fine and you know basically what you're doing is substituting folic acid for the, the, the active form methylfolate and what that does is it allows these cycles to work more appropriately because you're giving the active stuff you're cutting out the middleman which is the gene problem now the issue is that most people think oh well i just won't take my my supplement that has folic acid in it well our government has you know added folic acid to almost all processed foods because we know that folic acid is given to pregnant women to reduce the risk of birth defects because we know it's connected to brain function and neural tube defects so gluten like any bread many rice uh, you know rice cereals rice anything as well as all other types of cereals that are called enriched anything that says enriched is mean it means that they added folic acid to it you got to cut that all out of your diet because that unmetabolized folic acid can actually interfere with your body's ability to use the new methylfolate that you're taking. But something like this, as basic as this is, as like, you know, and, and I'm not used to saying like this is a recommendation because, I mean, everybody should kind of check with their own healthcare professional. But even just taking a step like this can make unbelievable changes in people's lives because they're taking the active form instead of taking the inactive form. And they potentially have a gene that prevents them from even using the inactive form. 
So pretty straightforward, but it sounds like it sounds very deep, but it's not it's not as deep as it sounds. Thank How's you that? for Thank you for explaining that, especially because, I mean, I can use myself as an example because you totally helped me turn this around for myself. Like when I went to see you, remember, you were really concerned about my heart. And I was, what was this, two years ago? So I was 27. Sorry? The homocysteine was elevated. Yes. And you were like, this doesn't make any sense. Like you're 27, you're active. And my anxiety was starting to get really bad again, kind of. Like my thoughts are all over the place. And it totally... For me, I do believe that it was correlated to this. So it was, I think the next time we got my blood work, you were like, wow, we reversed everything. Your numbers are insane, like yeah. so much better. Um, but I remember going to see you the first time and you were like, I'm concerned for your heart. <laughs> like, like we no. got to do something. Yeah, um, because elevated homocysteine, which is involved in this whole thing, is actually an independent risk factor for heart disease. And when you have this MTHFR mutation, it slows that cycle down and homocysteine builds up and builds up and builds up. And then all of a sudden you have cardiac issues. Yeah. Crazy. crazy. It is crazy. That's why it's so, like, I'm so thankful for people like you who, you know, are so involved in this stuff and really understand the science behind it and are open to all these other theories and things like that and just trying to figure out. And it's on experimentation, right? And this is one of my favorite things about you is that you understand that it's personal. Like, you understand that it really is still individual. Like you might know things, you might try things. We tried supplements and it was like, okay, no, that supplement didn't work. Let's right. try something else because it's every single person's different. Yeah. And, and as much as we know, there's so much that we don't know. You know, we, we had no idea that there were even things called SNPs before this human genome project, you know? So when we, it used to be thought that cigarettes didn't cause cancer. And then all of a sudden now we know that they can't cause cancer. So, you know, there are, we, we are learning all the time. The more humble, you know, we need to be humble about this because we can run tons of tests and, and feel like we have a pretty good handle on things. But we also have to be aware that, you know, things are changing all the time. We're learning new things about how the body works. You know, even this whole idea of light and how light is actually like a drug and a nutrient for our brain. Like our brain relies on light to drive our mitochondria. We never thought about it that way before. We always thought of, you know, I mean, especially now, doctors are saying avoid the sun. You know, wear 80 SPF, you know, like try not to get, because you're going to get skin cancer. You know, meanwhile, melanoma rates have increased since, uh, you know, the, since the use of, of all these really intense sunscreens. And, you know, they're like puzzled by it. And meanwhile, vitamin D production wouldn't have been linked to sun exposure if we were not meant to be in the sun. You know, so we have to, again, go back to nature and try to align with how we evolved over the last, you know, 10,000 years and how we lived on this planet, you know, in accordance with natural principles. And if we can do that, we're in a much better position. So what are your thoughts on grounding? So recently, like I have been making it a point to get outside and like walk barefoot on the rocks and like in the grass, or I actually did get another grounding mat to kind of use. But what do you think about that? So the body, there's a book called The Body Electric because we know that we are an electrochemical system. Like when you have an issue with your heart, they do, they put electrodes on your chest and they read the electrical potential of your heart. Same thing with your brain. We know that there's electricity in the brain, but we never ever talk about the electricity in the body. But we do talk about something called oxidative stress, which is an alteration in the plus and minus charges in the body that lead to inflammation. So when, imagine that for all these years when we were outside, and we were actually barefoot or we walked around with like some 
some leather sandals or something that we were connected to the earth. So as our bodies built up these changes in the electrical charges, we were grounded to the earth. So we could, we could suck up electrons because the earth is relatively negative and we could balance out those electrical charges. But now we all wear, you know, rubber sole shoes and we walk on tile and, you know, we're not connected to the earth. We rarely go outside barefoot. And as a result, we build up abnormal electrical charges and it changes something called the redox potential in our body. And as a result of that, we create inflammation and so on and so forth. And it causes all kinds of problems. So, yeah, why do you think you feel so good when you're on the beach? You know, it's because you're in the sun and you're connected to the earth. And it's not just because you're on vacation. You know, there's obviously a, an emotional and a, a mental part of it. But your body gets recharged electrically when you're absorbing photons of light from the sun and you're offloading abnormal electrical potential into the earth. And I know that sounds like so weird. I mean, it sounds like, no way. I can't even believe we're talking about the electrical potential, but this is science. I mean, this is, I didn't make this up, you know? Like, you know, you could talk about the, the you know, the exclusion zone of water. Did you ever hear that? No. There's something called the fourth phase of water. We know that water is a liquid gas and a, and a solid, right? Well, right. there's a fourth phase of water called an exclusion zone that when light hits water, it actually aligns different water molecules in an electrical potential as long as it's connected to a cell membrane. So we know that our body can conduct electricity through water through this thing called the EZ. And there's a guy named Pollock who wrote a book called The Fourth Phase of Water, and it talks all about the electrical potential of the body. But meanwhile, you know, you're not hearing that from too many people. Fascinating. I'm going to have to look into that. Oh, it's insane. Huh. So, you know, it goes on and on and on. That's why, you know, the more you understand, the more you know, the more humble you need to become because you realize, wow, that just opened up 20 new doors for me. And I have to realize, I, you know, I don't, as much as I know, I know nothing. You know, I might know a little bit more than the next person, but not anywhere near what I need to know. So it's a constant, you know, search for information and for knowledge so that you can be the best clinician you can be for your patients. Amazing. So let's go back to Optimum You real quick as we start to wrap up this episode. What do you think somebody needs to do on a daily basis or weekly basis in order to become their best Optimum self? Like what would you, what would be their homework? Well, I think that they need to, first of all, get a pretty good understanding of what they really, 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 really want. Right? <clears throat> they also need to develop a baseline of where they are right now not only in their life, but how they're doing physically, you know, so we can understand where they are and then we have an idea of where they want to be. Now we can figure out a strategy to help them get from point A to point B. And we change the way they think, we change the way their body works, and then everything kind of rolls. And the whole thing is that once you have a change in mindset and you start feeling really good, see, the whole thing is most people feel the way they feel and they think that's normal because that's normal for them. But when you push them and they start feeling really good, they realize, wow, I always felt like crap. I didn't realize how bad I felt. I didn't realize that, you know, it wasn't normal to not be able to sleep through the night or, you know, to have, you know, to be falling asleep at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, or, you know, to have chronic pain in my neck and my head, you know, that, that's the, that becomes people's normals, you know? So it's so sad. Yeah. We need to shift the consciousness to, you know, this idea of becoming the optimum version of yourself. It's not that you want to be somebody else. You want to be the best version of you. 
And I think we also need to help people understand, this is something I was thinking of recently, as we go back to this whole idea about mindset, just because you're getting older does not mean you have to get sick. Like elderly and sickly do not need to go hand in hand. Like you could right. just get old and like be healthy. Do you know what right. I mean? And so I feel like that's like another really big mindset thing in which if we have that belief, of course, we're going to have that happen to us. But if you're just to be like, okay, I'm getting older, but wow, I feel the best I've ever felt. Like that can be your belief. Like right. I look the best and feel the best and whatever. And then it's like illness isn't even in your mind. Like it, we don't have to be sick and old. Right. And then, you know, a lot of it goes back to how you take care of your body all the way through. Like we're lions. You and I are a couple of lions, right? We live on a savanna. I'm about 600 pounds. You're about 300 pounds. And we eat a zebra today. We may not eat for four or five days. So animals in the wild eat and fast. Why do they do that? Because during the fast, they recycle their system. Fasting stimulates something called autophagy. And autophagy is your body's cleaning out process. So when you never fast, like people have a hard time fasting between breakfast and lunch, right? So now you're eating so many calories that your body doesn't need. You're storing not only calories in the form of body fat, but you're storing toxins. And as those toxins build up, they cause problems. And all of a sudden your brain starts to short circuit and you end up with Alzheimer's disease. But people actually reverse a lot of these early cognitive declines with fasting and actually getting the right nutrients in and changing their mindset and stimulating their neurons through you know, cognitive activities and physical exercise. So we know that, again, going back to how we were designed, which is the people who eat the fewest calories live the longest, healthiest lives. You know, People who eat their largest meal right before they go to bed, probably not, not so much. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's just the food. That's just the food story. You know, right. the, the whole light story and the whole stress story, you know, it goes on and on and on. But, so you know, we're, we're messengers for, the, for this, you know, for this reality. I love that. Um, so I was just reading an article or I was watching something on Instagram. I think it, um, Dr. Mark Hyman was interviewing somebody else, uh, the guy who who started Bulletproof Coffee. And mm -hmm. he was saying that it's beneficial to fast once a week. What? Like, how often would you recommend fasting? So, I mean, you know, you can, it depends on, it depends on your situation. It depends on, you know, your health status. You know, you shouldn't jump right into, you know, full day fasting. If you're really, you know, if you're diabetic, for instance, you know, like taking medication to lower your blood sugar and then you don't eat anything. And then all of a sudden your blood sugar just totally crashes because the meds are driving it down. So, you know, everybody's got to kind of know where they're at, but you know, intermittent fasting is really cool because you can, you can be on like a 16 and eight program where you eat all your calories within an eight hour window. So between let's say 10 and six, you know, all your calories are consumed. And then the 16 hours a day, you know, outside of that window, you're fasting. So you can actually do some real good mitochondrial regeneration that way. And then from time to time, do like a full day, you know, one day water fast. I mean, some of the studies have shown five days water fasting recycles your entire immune system. And also gives your body a break to like heal itself because it's no, it's not doing other processes. But I did remember, like I had met this one woman who was saying how intermittent fasting sometimes can really impact women negatively, I guess, depending on the body type, because it throws off, I don't know. She was saying something. Is that like real? No, I mean, listen, eight hours a day is a, is a long enough window to get your calories in, you know? Right. So... 
you know, they talk about fasting, you know, everybody's different. You know, this, this idea of biochemical individuality is so important. And so it's very difficult for us to make really total generalizations and say, this is good for everybody. But, you know, with the idea of, you know, like animals in the wild fasting, you know, think about, think about a, a you know, a, a bear, you know, it, it gets, you know, it feeds and feeds and feeds, and then it doesn't eat for a couple of months while it's hibernating. How does that, how does that happen? You know what I mean? Like, that's amazing. You know, so we're able to do this. Our body has an, you ever watch Naked and Afraid? No. All right. So there's a show, Naked and Afraid. They drop, you know, a man and a woman on a, on a desert island and they, and with no food or water and they have to survive for 21 days. So, I mean, these people, they literally live on like some leaves, a couple of worms, maybe a few bugs for 21 days. So your body can go three weeks without food, three days without water and three minutes without air. So if your body can survive for three weeks, it can certainly survive 16, you know, 16 hours a day, right? Yeah. So sure. it's, um, you know, it's all how you look at it. For sure. So is there anything else you want to talk with us about tonight? I think we, uh, I think we kind of created a pretty cool overview. I mean, you know, happy to get into any one of these topics in the future with you and we can get specific. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do this again because you are full of so much knowledge and literally like I just want to send everybody to you because I think what you do is amazing and like anybody listening to this, for real, I've seen other functional medicine doctors, I've seen a lot of them and it wasn't until seeing Dr. Mike that I really have felt like I feel better and feel healthier and just, you know, I'm, I'm in a different place. So yeah. I, I am very appreciative of you. Well, I, I appreciate you. You know, because you are the type of person that says, tell me what to do and I'll do it. That is a unique quality in somebody. Most people have a lot of resistance to, hey, what do you mean I need to change my diet? You know, so there's a, there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes into making, you know, changes because they're not used to, you know, working with a doctor that actually asks them to do some work. Usually all they have to do is pop a pill, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it, you, you feel good because you're making that happen. You know, yes. I'm just kind of facilitating it, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, yes. And just so anybody knows, like, it's a journey. Like, to yeah. get where I'm at, like, it, I had been on a seven or eight year journey or 10 year journey before I even went into Dr. Mike's office. Right. So it's yeah. been a progression of trying to figure this out. But for me, once you understand how good it feels, like, you talk about the optimum, you, you talk about feeling amazing, like, once you get a little taste of how good you can actually feel and you actually become aware of things that are making you feel bad and making you feel pain, it starts to become, why would I put myself through pain? Like, why, why would I do that? Why am I going to eat that when I know, you know, emotionally I might want it, but physically this is going to suck. So yeah. why am I going to do that? You know, the first, the first week is hard, but then after that you start, you know, you hit a stride and you start feeling like, start feeling better, you get a little momentum and then it's, you know, gets a lot easier. Yeah. Cool. Well, Dr. Mike, so I always butcher your name. So could you say your last sure. name so everybody knows how so to, yeah. It's Mike Grudadoria. And you can find me at the Optimum U, T-H-E, Optimum, the letter U.com. Amazing. I'm going to post that link in the show description. So check that out. I know you're also on like Instagram and I follow you on Facebook. So I'll add those links there as well but thank you again for joining us tonight i appreciate you being on very very happy thank you so much i look forward to doing it again you're awesome